Welcome to Me and Mary Jane with your host, Patricia A. Patton. So hello everyone, this is Patricia A. Patton, a.k.a. Canna Boomer, and welcome to the first of this season's Me and Mary Jane podcast 2022. I'm joined by Elena Goldberg, who uh, is coming to me. I'm having coffee, she's having wine in, are you in Tel Aviv or in? In Israel, I'm, I'm just north of Tel Aviv in Avenue Huda in my home. Absolutely. All right. So that's great. I'm super excited. Elena is the CEO of Canigma. That's right. So uh, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Really happy to be here. Great to meet you. Yes. I was just telling Elena that I have been stalking her, you know, virtually for a little while because I am definitely motivated by the science, particularly as a baby boomer who is talking primarily to people of my ilk. I'm particularly interested in uh, healthy aging and science is really a part of that. Um, Today, we're going to talk to Elena about how cannabis Let's see how cannabis can improve meditation and mindfulness. But of course, we cannot do that without understanding who she is a little more. So um, I went online to try and kind of look at this and that. Like you're a fabulous writer. You know that? Thank you. I'm I'm, I'm really interested to hear like what your impression was from all of this online stalking you've been doing. Well, from the writing. Yeah. Well, okay, so I'm in the process, of course, of trying to build a small community. And Mm -hmm. when I look at what you've done, you're kind of a template for me of sorts. You know, when I look at it and I try to understand, you know, how did she actually do this? Um, What is Kenigma really about? Like, is that a real word or did you make up that word? So let's start there. Yeah, let's start there. So, so like you said, I'm based in Israel. I'm Australian, as you might be able to hear from my accent, uh, but I've been in Israel for the past 15 years now. Um, and Israelis really like putting English words together and making new words for their businesses. Um, and so uh, the, the co-founders of, of the company uh, like the idea of, of the fact that what we're doing here is solving the cannabis enigma, that there's like so many different levels on which cannabis is an enigma. Like why does cannabis help in so many different uh, conditions and symptoms? why has cannabis been illegal for the past hundred years? Um, Why is there such stigma against using a plant which has never been proven to kill anyone uh, before using medications that, you know, have have serious uh, side effects, uh, including death? Uh, You know, these these are just a few of the enigmas that uh, we kind of set out to, to help try and crack. 
um, or at least to shed light on. You know, we don't see it as, as necessarily that we're at the forefront, um, but the, these are the the uh, enigmas that that we're looking to help solve. So that's it. That's the answer to your question. First of all, of, of where the word came from, Kenigma. Um, we're looking to to solve the cannabis enigma. And actually, something that's gotten brought up to us recently is that also sounds like it could be related to the word stigma. So we're also looking yes. and interested in breaking stigmas yes. around cannabis. So that's like a new one that we've decided to kind of. Uh, mind that. connect into the name yeah exactly um and in terms of what we do uh so the cannabis uh, the Kenigma is a an evidence-based cannabis education platform um so so what we're trying to do and what i hope is obvious uh, to you having already had a look at the website is that we're just trying to get credible information about cannabis in front of whoever needs it um whether that's recreational users or medical users or caretakers or physicians or Pharmacists, it doesn't really matter to us. Uh, what matters is that it's credible, accessible, clear information about cannabis. Um, and a lot of the time what we're doing is translating what we know from the science uh, and kind of bringing it into layperson's language. But sometimes what we're doing as well is, is pointing out where we don't know enough and where more research is needed because a lot of the time uh, that's the case, um, that we just don't have um all of the information that's needed. The research is, you know, there, there's a lot of really good science going on when it comes around cannabis, but it, it's very preliminary and, and you know, for some conditions more than others. Um, so that's what we're doing. Uh, my background is actually in journalism, in online journalism. Uh, you mentioned uh, my writing. That's, you know, that's, yes. that's, that's who I am in my soul. I'm a writer. Um, and what, what I've really learned over the years of working in various different uh, digital platforms is that people consume information and digest information in different ways. Um, so around this kind of core of written articles um, on the website, we also have videos. We have a podcast as well. I actually just uh, recorded season uh, one of episode, no, season, episode one of season two of our podcast as well. Um, I was just listening to edited version before I jumped on the call with you. Um, and we create videos and infographics. So, so the vision is really to have around any concept when it comes to cannabis. So cannabis and sleep or cannabis and anxiety or why cannabis makes your heart race, whatever it is, any one topic, we aim to have an article and a video and a podcast episode and an infographic so that people can kind of consume the information and get the information they need in the way that works for them. Um, so, so yeah. How, how then, <clears throat> when you began and you were thinking about who your audience was, because this is a problem that I found for myself as mm -hmm. a entrepreneur with not a huge staff, I wasn't so clear that I was actually talking to the people that I was trying to reach. So when you began, were you, yes, you want to be clear, you want to translate, but did you have this avatar or a particular audience in mind and because you publish yeah, so, in four languages yeah right so it's a really good question that you're asking you know um as i've been working in digital marketing uh and when people tell me that their target audience is everyone my answer is uh, -uh. you can't target everyone that do it doesn't work that way but the information that we're that we're producing and distributing really could be useful for pretty much everyone if it's not for themselves maybe it's for their parent maybe it's for their child maybe it's you know just so that they, I don't know, don't discriminate against someone in their workplace who uses cannabis as a medicine. Um, but, but the truth is that there's kind of a sub-segment of, of that potential audience, which is the appropriate audience for our content. And that's people who are interested in 
uh, taking a kind of empowered and personalized approach to their own health and well-being. And that's not everyone. There are some people that, you know, get a recommendation from their doctor and they take the vitamin C or whatever it is and continue on their days. And that's totally fine. They're just less likely to be the person that's going to, you know, nerd out over this sort of thing and drill down and read articles from a number of different sources and try and get an understanding of the science, even if they don't have a scientific background. So so really that's who I see as our audience. It, it, it's the same people who, if the, if the doctor suggests that they should take vitamin D, they're going to do some research into what vitamin D is and, and you know, how it works on the body. Um, so, that, so that's from the kind of like persona perspective. And then you mentioned the different languages we publish in. So the, the unfortunate truth is that the majority of the content we publish is only going to be used for people, useful for people who have legal access to cannabis and have some sort of labeling on the products they're buying. Now, there's some information like, I don't know, why does cannabis make your eyes red? It doesn't make a difference at all if you're buying from a dealer or you're buying from a dispensary. It's going to make your eyes red, you know, in a similar way. So you can get into it. But the the, the point of a lot of our content is to help people to make better decisions when it yes. comes to cannabis to find the product. I can't necessarily tell someone this is the right product for you. Take this. It'll be great. But maybe we can kind of shorten the trial and error process um, that we know is often necessary when it comes to cannabis. And for that, you really need to have access to products with, you know, some sort of standardized labeling. Um, so for that, we know that North America is a massive target audience for us, obviously, and that makes up about 70, 75% of our audience. Um, and then we also publish content in German, obviously for the German market, which just recently uh, we, we had an announcement just over the weekend that it looks like they'll legalize across yes. the board in the next couple of years, which is a, a really uh, interesting development. Uh, so the German website, we also have a Portuguese website, which is aimed at the Brazilian uh, audience. Uh, they have a growing medical cannabis program there. And obviously it's a huge population of, you know, over 200 million people. Um, and then we just most recently launched our uh, Spanish language website. And so that, that that's a really wide target. Obviously, Latin America, the United States, Spain, you know, quite a broad audience there that, that, that we're kind of looking at growing at the moment. Um, and, but what we're doing is, is focusing on what we see as um, you know, the audiences that are going to have the most people that are going to be interested uh, in this information and able to use it. What's fascinating about that for me as someone who lives in North America is the sort of trend toward concierge medicine and certainly mm -hmm. the idea that we are individually responsible for our own health to be perfectly mm -hmm. honest, you know? And so, um, you know, I had a health challenge this year that wouldn't have been discovered if I wasn't like a pushy black woman who just right. will not allow a doctor to shut me up, you know, if I feel that something is wrong. And so yeah. I think that it's important that we encourage people to push forward, to ask questions. And so, um, you know, a site like yours is certainly uh welcome in my view you know and for yeah. people who are interested like you said it's like not everybody is interested in their health you know yeah I mean, exactly that sounds weird to say doesn't it it sounds weird to say because people yeah. want to live a long life but you know I guess some people just feel well shoot my shot yeah, or maybe some people feel like they have a physician that understands their medical history and they trust them and they see, you know, they have kind of a more traditional view of, uh, you know, who has the responsibility when it comes to uh, health. Uh, 
look, it's not my it's not my personal take, but I think it's valid. And I think, you know, not everyone has to be interested in research in the same way as, as you or I are. Yes. Um, I think there's like often the way I think of it is, you know, where where we consult with with many medical professionals on on the content that we we create and it's reviewed and it's often reviewed at the beginning of the create content creation process and at the end. Um, however, I think a lot of uh, the information is meant to be used that someone can do their own research and then go in better educated to a conversation with their healthcare provider. Yes, um, you know, like it's it's not it's not medical advice in and of itself, but I do believe that it can help you know prepare people to be in these situations. You know, kind of like yours as well to be able to know that you know you can take responsibility for your own body and you can go in and ask the right questions and push yes. where it's necessary. Yes. So this information gap that you um, talk about in your about section that Kenigma is addressing is something um, that I feel very passionate about in terms of being a bridge uh between sort of the powers that be the different sources of information from clinicians from uh people like yourself who research and share and smaller like i'm particularly interested in community at the community level like sharing mm-hmm. information at the community level so that those people can empower the people who believe what they have to say you know um because on the level that I nerd out, nobody necessarily wants to hear what I have to say. But if I share that with my family or someone at that level, maybe someone else will listen to them. So that's really my hope that eventually Cannabis Business Alliance will be able to do on the the, uh, business to consumer side. I'm focused right now on the business to business side. Um, Mm -hmm. What I would like to know is um, how that moved you how your mindfulness practice came into play in terms of your business your daily business work because your mother you're a writer you know you have um you know you're a woman you have a multifaceted life yeah how does mindfulness come into your life as someone who is an advocate and a scientist really for cannabis. Yeah, so I should be clear, I am not a scientist. That's not my, well, my background, but I, I certainly work with a lot of them. And yeah. You are, I call myself a citizen scientist. Mm, you know? Okay, I like that. Yeah, yeah, I'll take that. I'll be a citizen scientist with you. Um, so really, I, I think mindfulness uh, is part of kind of all of those different roles that you mentioned um, for me. Um, it, it certainly helps me be a better mother when I'm able to, you know, there's so much going on. And when it comes to being with my kids and kids are in the moment, you know, kids are always in the moment. There's so much we can learn from them, but you know, I've still got work in the back of my head and this conversation and this thing with my husband and this, you know, whatever it is that's going on at any time. And I, I find that the skills I learned through my mindfulness practice allow me to stop and be in the moment with them and know that like, you know, I'm going to be the best mother I can if I'm being a mother while I'm being a mother and I'm being a CEO when I'm being a CEO and I'm being a wife when I'm being a wife, not trying to be everything at the same time and to do everything at the same time. Um, And that's something that I learned through hours and hours and hours of sitting on my bum on a cushion with my eyes closed, watching my breath, basically. Um, It's where it all comes from that like the, the experience or my experience at least through meditation of just, watching reality unfold as it is from a kind of non-judgmental um, and kind and observational perspective uh, reveals a lot about the nature of reality. And it's true just as much if you're 
following the breath as you're watching your kid play on a swing or trying to decide what to do with a financial crisis in a business. Like if you're able to look, okay, what is actually going on right now? What Not what's all the crap that's in my head, not what are other people saying to me, not what are the feelings that are coming up that are making me think that someone's going to judge me or, you know, the stories that we tell ourselves. What is actually happening right now that I need to deal with? Um, that's when I'm able to to respond best and to respond. I should be clear that to respond rather than just to react, rather than having a knee-jerk reaction and just kind of like following the gut or following the body or following whatever trauma response comes up. Um, so I find that it really, you know, it, it helps me across the board. And in, in business specifically, um, it helps drown out all of the noise, um, you know, like, uh, there's so much that's going on at any any one given point in time. And when we're able to narrow down on whatever it is that we want to focus on, then we're able to just work what it is, you know, on, on whatever it is that we want to work on. Um, I yeah, have a, a visual as you were mm-hmm. speaking from a couple of years ago, taking a yoga class on the beach in Martha's Vineyard. And uh, in Warrior One, the instructor said, you know, just began to see what you see, you know? Mm -hmm. And in uh, Warrior Two, look at it closely, but don't engage, you know? Do not go, do not engage. Just look at it closely to see what is it really, you know? Yeah. And it's one of these things for me when I personally first started taking meditation classes, not understanding really what it was or what it could how much of a tool it could be, mm, you know, yeah. for improving my life is that I, I could not see a cloud pass and not engage with it. You know, I had mm-hmm. to look at it, you know, wonder what it was, try to describe it. So what you just explained about being present or that you are not your thoughts, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's the one I could not understand was, how do you mean I'm not my thoughts? If I'm not my thoughts, what am I? Well, that's the question, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that being able to to watch your thoughts proves that you're not them. Because if I'm able to observe my thoughts, then my thoughts are here and I'm here. And that means that I'm not them. And then it's just like an ongoing... Look, it, it, it can drive you totally crazy trying to work out who you are, yeah, and what you really are. Because it's like, well, if I can watch that, then I'm not that. And then I can watch. And if, if there's a voice here that's saying, okay, I'm not my thoughts, then what's that voice? And if I can watch that voice and that's not me, then, we, you know, which of these parts is me? But let's, let's not go down that rabbit no, hole. No, that's, no, yeah. Yeah, sure. but, the, but, but certainly I, uh, I did prepare by meditating before this conversation. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah, just because I am all over the place. I tend to Mm -hmm. sort of be all over the place naturally. I'm not scattered, but just a lot of stuff happens. And I do need to have a process for focusing on what's going on at this moment, you know? Yeah. Um, So tell me about the um, mindfulness meditation teaching certificate that you're presently working on yeah tell me that's right yeah so I'm in the middle of it at the moment um this is something that uh 
Honestly, I never thought that I would have the opportunity to study with these teachers, um, with Tara Brack and with Jack uh, Cornfield, who have been two of, uh, you know, my, my, my heroes, I suppose. Um, in, my, in my own meditation journey, I've gotten so much out of their writings and their teachings. Um, and they run this course. It's a two-year course. There's 2,500 people that started this course all over the world. Um, it actually, when I signed up, it was meant to be in person. I mean, it was meant to be certain uh, sessions would be in person, but of course the pandemic uh, happened before that. And it's actually pretty beautiful. It's people from all over the world that, that share this passion for meditation and that want to, you know, pass it on and teach more people. Um, and we meet a number of times a month in small groups. And then there are lectures and readings and uh, podcasts and, and all sorts of different content uh, to dig into. And honestly, it's, uh, you know, I relate to what you said about being all over the place. I also, my ten, my mind also tends to be very busy. But, you know, I, I, yeah, absolutely. And, and just having the influence of, of all of these teachings uh, in my life in a structured way, I've found um, has brought a lot of uh, calm and a lot of insight uh, into my life. And, and where we're at to, up to in the course at the moment is we're about to start on the practicum. So I'm about to start teaching um, a couple of introduction to mindfulness courses. Um, so I'm really looking forward to doing that and having the experience and, and getting the feedback also from the students. Um, but I actually started teaching, I suppose, without this certification uh, through workplaces in, in the last kind of three workplaces, including at Kenigma. Um, there's been kind of something that's made me feel like I should be offering this to the people that I work with and, and to the people that I manage. Um, and so what we do at the moment at Kenigma is, is we meet, we have a morning meeting uh, every every morning, obviously, um, just kind of like a stand up. We get the team together. We do like 10 or 15 minutes in person if we're in person, but generally online because a lot of the team is remote. Um, and what I just put in the schedule is half an hour before that, anyone who wants to join can come and we meditate together. I generally guide it sometimes. Sometimes I come onto the session and I'm like, all right, everyone, here's the deal. I didn't get a chance to meditate this morning. So this is my meditation session as well. I'm ringing a gong at the beginning. I'm ringing a gong at the end. And we just like, you know, hold a space together, but generally I kind of guide some sort of either mindfulness of the breath or mindfulness of the body. Um, and yeah, with that, with that small group of uh, team members, I, I really feel like uh, we've kind of built uh, a, a space for this sort of exploration together. Um, and, you know, they've, they've told me things that they've noticed through their practice, which I really, you know, I found through my practice as well, that they're able to find a place of calm quicker um, it doesn't mean that every time they sit down it's going to be like you know a, 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 like a zen uh, scene uh, sometimes you sit down and it's just hell watching your mind doing crazy things for 20 minutes um, but they are able to find that place where they're concentrating quicker um, they're able to cut through the noise uh, when they're working and, and stop and go okay I'm overwhelmed right now the ability when you're overwhelmed to notice that you're overwhelmed yes is is like half the battle you know if you realize you're overwhelmed you're like oh okay so that makes sense that's why I can't write this article right now because I'm not in the right headspace mm -hmm. so either I'm going to work out how to get myself in the right headspace or I'm going to say okay it's not time to write an article it's time to do a data entry task that I need to sort out you know whatever it is so um, I, would, I would consider that one of your actionable steps you know mm, definitely you know? And so if you, if you include cannabis to the um, meditation practice, how yeah. does that begin to 
enhance the experience? Yeah. So, so I've had kind of an interesting personal journey. I'll just speak to myself on this one. I'm definitely not an expert on cannabis and meditation, um, but the, the, no one my is. experience with yeah exactly you know <laughs> no one is um but my experience has been that so i started meditating about uh 14 15 years ago and started building up a practice from then and about 10 years ago i decided to stop using cannabis i was uh just uh i just met my well he's my husband now he's we, we just met at that point um and i was about to start having kids and i decided to take a break it was it was what was right for me at that time so i built this really strong meditation practice through a period where i wasn't consuming cannabis and i wasn't consuming alcohol and then i decided a couple of years ago went right around the time we started building the Kenigma, no surprises there that i wanted to see if i could reintegrate it that with this kind of higher understanding and, and more kind of stable outlook on my life I had. I wanted to see if I, if I could reintegrate it in, in a mindful way, in an intentional way. And so there was a couple of things. First of all, simply the experience of being someone, um, I don't know, of being mindful um, changed the high and the experience of cannabis completely. I, it was like, instead of being high it was like i was watching my mind being high and there was like it was like there was a part of me that was observing saying like wow look at the thoughts they're so different they're, they're they're running in a different way they have a different feel to them wow the thoughts today are darker the thoughts today are more psychedelic these trains are more kind of uh funnier you know and and, and just just that like i think my mind during those eight years really became wired differently and I was so, so, so there was just simply that observation not from formal meditation but from just experiencing you know current events from a place of mindfulness so that was my first experience and then I started to think well hang on I generally meditate in the mornings and yet I consume cannabis in, in the evenings so like maybe I can play around with this maybe I can kind of see what it's like to meditate um and I had a lot of failed attempts, uh, basically times where I just found that I'd consumed too much cannabis um, and, and I wasn't able to concentrate. I could have very um, enjoyable experiences that were meditative, but it wasn't uh, vipassana. It wasn't, uh, you know, strict mindfulness practice. And so I started to kind of play around with, with different practices. Uh, and, and I think that's really crucial that there are, there are some practices that are appropriate um, for use with cannabis. Not that there's anything that can really go wrong, but you know, there are some that are that are gonna bring specific results. And there are others that like are probably better for first thing in the morning before you've consumed any cannabis. Um, so that's one thing I learned. And another thing that I that I learned as I started doing a bit of reading, as I started to look into the research, and there is some research on, on the use of cannabis in various different spiritual and, and religious practices. Um, and what I discovered was that dose is crucial here. Now this is true, you know, for cannabis across the board. Um, dose is crucial here, absolutely. And also it's about breaking down barriers to meditation because there are some people who meditation is just so intense for that they, they can't get into it because the anxiety comes up straight away and it just feels like, I don't know if this is something you ever experienced in meditation, but it's just a feeling of like, I can't do this. It's too intense. I can't, I can't be with my present experience, yeah. uh, even if that's not necessarily how a beginner meditator would describe it. But like that overwhelming intensity and, and maybe a few a few kind of puffs on a vape 
is going to get that anxiety down, like kind of like quell those inhibitions enough that meditation is then accessible. So it could be like for some people, cannabis can be used as, as just a bridge into it. I mean, personally, for me, my bridge into meditation was actually kundalini yoga. But it was like the combination of really intense movements and then I was able to settle and then really intense movements and then I was able to settle. But what I've found kind of through talking to people and researching is that um, cannabis can, can you know, be this kind of bridge uh, to be able to access meditation as well. Um, so, so this is like, yeah, sorry, you're go actually on. working. I, I think I read you're working with Andrea Raymond on some specific research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're in the middle of the research at the moment. What we're looking to find out there is whether there's really any such thing as recreational use. Uh, the hypothesis here is that all cannabis use is therapeutic. Um, and that's what we're looking into through, uh, we started off with quantitative research and, and now we've moved on to the qualitative section. So she's uh, actually just finishing up the, the interviews for that section now. So I'll come back to that when you guys finish them. Yeah, I'll send you the, the piece for yeah, sure. I would, I would love to, but I do understand what you're saying because I, um, I mean, I have, I can remember, it hasn't happened recently, but I can certainly remember um, consuming and then being unable or unwilling to really follow my thoughts like they scared me too much I was afraid mm. that if I really went down the path to finish the thought it was too scary and so then yeah it was too scary it's like I kind of didn't really want to know that part of myself or something mm-hmm. I don't really even know what I was afraid of you know just that it scared me and then I wasn't happy <laughs> yeah so- interesting I wonder if if you were able to get into that kind of uh, mindfulness mode, like get into the flow. Sometimes I've experienced, I guess this is why I'm suggesting it might be the case, is that there are thoughts and then there's a bit of fear and anxiety and they're not necessarily related. Mm. It's simply there is a thought and there is fear and maybe you're not actually even scared of the thought, you know? Yes, That's true. And probably, uh, yeah, at this point, I may have processed it in real life, you know, Um, Mm. so that that's not the case anymore. But I remember, you know, I guess it was a really a feeling of not really trusting myself. Mm -hmm. And that's why I didn't want to go there, you know. Yeah, so, interesting. Was this through guided meditation or, or just your no. own kind of freestyle? Yeah, it was definitely freestyle. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of conversation now. I know both with meditation, uh, both with um, mushrooms, uh, cannabis, you know, psilocybin. It's just like a, there's a lot more. I mean, I'm hit my 70th decade. So I have been kind of in this space before, like late 60s, beginning of the 70s, right around the edges, you know, not deeply ensconced in it because I was looking to build a life in the straight world. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know, it's I, a different story these days. It's, uh, yeah. it's all a lot more mainstream. Yes, it's true. So, okay. I want to um, have a couple of takeaways for listeners, you know, yep. uh, 
specifically uh, about the actionable advice that you would have for folks. Yeah, definitely. Specifically about cannabis and meditation. Let's talk about that first of all. So if this is something you're interested in looking into, I think first of all, you need to find the type of cannabis that works for you. Um, At point, uh, people rarely say what what you're saying. No one really says that. They'll just say cannabis broadly without making the distinction that it may well be that you need to figure out what works for you and then forward. Exactly. And yeah, I I think this is like one piece of cannabis education that can completely change how people see cannabis. Um, You know, once they understand, like, let's talk about kind of, some different categories you could be looking at here. So first of all, I mean, we hear a lot about indica sativa. Uh, This is not the direction I would be going or suggesting. Uh, This is outdated. This is kind of, uh, you know, it's a categorization that was born of the fact that during prohibition, we didn't have enough information. And so we had to categorize in some way. And so this kind of loose categorization of cannabis either being sedating or being uplifting. Uh, there's some value to that, but really what I rec- would recommend you get into is, first of all, understanding uh, the three main types of cannabis, type 1, type 2, type 3. Type 1 cannabis is high THC. Uh, type 2 cannabis is balanced uh, between THC and CBD. And type 3 cannabis is high CBD cannabis. So this is the first thing that you can look into and work out, uh, you know, what your tolerance is like, what works best for you, also what works best for you at different times of day. Um Many people find that, you know, they, they prefer using a type 2 or type 3 cannabis or a balanced or high CBD cannabis during the day and then uh, high THC type 1 cannabis in the evening. Um, but, you know, it's very individual, so that's something to look at. And then the terpene profile is something else that's really important to look at. Um, that we, we do know from science, mainly from preclinical research, um, that different terpenes have different uh, pharmacological effects, so effects on, on the body. Uh, but it's quite individual still. Uh, I know that what most people uh, say would be a calming type of cannabis is very activating for me in the mind uh, specifically. So it's something that, you know, people really need to kind of try out for themselves. And the best way to try it out is uh, by starting low and going slow. Uh, So have a drag, wait 20 minutes, see what it does for you. If it didn't do anything, no worries. You can have another drag. Uh, uh, obviously, this is if you're inhaling. If you're if you're taking it by oral consumption, you're going to need to wait a little bit longer to feel the effect. It might be that your experiment takes a week rather than a couple of hours. Um, but that's fine too. Plenty of information on the Conigma about how to do this. So you can just look up dosing or you can look up how to choose a strain on, on the Conigma website and you'll be able to find everything that I'm saying here laid out. So that's number one, is find out what type of cannabis works for you. And when you want to start mixing it with meditation, uh, go really slow. Go, go for like even a, a kind of like undetectable um, amount to begin with and see, does this help me? Or does it in fact hinder my meditation? Because, you know, as you were kind of mentioning before, there's some types of cannabis or there's some meditation experiences that might feel that it's either ruins your cannabis experience or ruins your meditation experience. Uh, Luckily, you know, you get to start over a few hours later. So it can be like, you know, a trial and error uh, process and and it can be a pretty fun trial and error process. So that's, you know, something that we've got in our favor in this pursuit. And then, so that's on the cannabis side. And then on the meditation side, there's all different types of meditation. And um, there are types of meditation that you might find fit um, cannabis consumption more and less. Uh, for me, I found that strict mindfulness meditation was, which is, which is generally what I practice, doesn't go as well. 
um, with, uh, with, with, with cannabis consumption as uh, something that's a bit looser, transcendental meditation, anything with a mantra, um, you can kind of like hold on to a little bit more, I find to be really interesting and all sorts of different guided meditations as well. So anything that uses imagery can re be really fun um, and, and insightful. Um, and anything, uh, yeah, kind of a bit more like flowy and creative uh, types of meditation, I find a really nice fit. Um, and, and something that I would recommend no matter what, actually, this is a really good tip for cannabis consumption in general, but uh, specifically, specifically with meditation is to set an intention. Um, at the beginning. So like, I'm aiming to bring compassion. I'm aiming to get uh, insight on a particular issue I'm dealing with. I'm, uh, you know, open to receiving, you know, whatever comes, whatever it is, setting that intention kind of guides the whole practice and the experience. Um, so I think those are a few, I, I won't kind of bombard listeners uh, with, with, with too many tips, but I think that's it. Find the type of cannabis that works for you, find the type of meditation that works, find the right dose and set an intention. That's great. I mean, that's great. And you can hold that and take it with me. Listeners can hold that and take it with them, you know? Um, sure. I uh, want to thank you really for taking the time and the focus, you know, to share that with listeners. Um, and I hope that my, my listeners will pay more attention to the Kenigma you know, it's publication, subscribe to it. I will actually add the link in the uh, notes, the show notes. Uh, and we'll be looking really for the offerings that you may share with us as you move through your process and begin to invite us into the practicums or uh, the practice that you will set up once you're done with it. I have one other question that's sort of sticking in my head. And it's sure. just a question about the neuro-linguistic aspects of um, the training that you're doing, because mm -hmm. that's another one of those, um, I would call it kind of uh, a, uh, well, it's something that you hear people talking about a lot. I mean, I'm trained in linguistics, romance linguistics. And so mm. now I hear people talking about, um, I am, how did they describe it? I have a neuro-linguistic issue, or I forget. Mm. It was not necessarily discussed 40 years ago. So yeah, super interesting. So I actually studied neuro-linguistic programming as well, which is, you know, about the connection between the words we use and how we use them and how that influences uh, our behavior and our experience and our connections and communication. And I think that's kind of linked there as well. And, and the way I see it coming up in, in, my, in my meditation studies at the moment um, is especially when we talk about uh, teaching itself or giving talks itself um, and, and the power of uh, words. Uh, the words we choose and the importance of the words we choose. Um, and, and there's been a particular focus in this course on, on race and on uh, diversity and, and their quality and inclusion. And that's a place where, you know, um, picking our words carefully and understanding the impact um, of, of words that we choose that we maybe like, you know, don't think about it before we throw words out there can really... Um, either include people into our into our practices and into our teaching or exclude them and make them feel like this is a teaching that's not for them or, or, or a teacher that's not for them. Um, 
And so I think on a linguistic level, that's that's something that's, uh, you know, really been pondering uh, lately of like, um, you know, I like talking, I like writing, I find that words flow out of me, but I need to be intentional about it. I need to be mindful about the words that, that come out of my mouth, understanding my audience, understanding um, how how those words could fall on, on people with different backgrounds than me. Um, so I think, yeah, that's something that's, that's very alive in the, in the course at the moment. Yes, um, it's really important too, you know, particularly if you want your messaging to yeah. land in a in a sort of a broad way because like I don't have an affinity even for the word diversity because I think mm-hmm. it's been trivialized or I don't yeah. even know what people mean anymore when they talk about normalizing because the way that normalizing is defined in contemporary society doesn't really even include me you know yeah. I'm sort of like pushing you know to be included in this whole new arena um, and I have a whole audience of people around the world who are like me, but very different. Um, but the conversation about cannabis sort of reminds me about the conversation in 1999 about um, the digital arena, that there would be no gatekeepers mm. and that, you know, everyone would be able to put their flag in the ground and uh, open source, et cetera. But that's not the reality. And that's not, that is not the reality. And so it's interesting, you know, to try and figure out how in this emerging industry, how to redefine uh, normalizing. And so I had meant to ask you that earlier, because I know you're a thinker and, um, yeah, that's really interesting. I think, you know, I, I really like that parallel that you made um, about, you know, the internet basically or the digital sphere. And I think the parallel to the open source is home grow, is when we get to a situation that people are able to, you know, safely, legally uh, grow their own at home. And, uh, you know, then that completely changes the power dynamics in the whole cannabis space. So I'm going to be thinking about that because home grow as, as a gardener, it's something mm-hmm. that I'm interested in personally, yep. you know, uh, I would feel comfortable consuming something that I grew, that I know exactly. what it is, et cetera, yep. you know? So um, listen, um, you're a badass, you know, uh, thank you so much for making time with me. It's great to have had this initial conversation. I hope to continue it, uh, in different levels going forward. You know, it's been a pleasure, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's been my pleasure as well. And thanks so much for having me. All right. So that's great. I, I, I mean, anytime I enjoy the conversation, I figure, <laughs> you know, only a, stupid person, only a stupid person will not enjoy this conversation. <laughs> Don't want those listeners anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. I'm going to be in touch. Um, awesome. Again, thank you so much. And it was um, my, really my pleasure. It was really great to chat. All right. See you soon. All right. You have a good day. All Bye. right. Bye-bye. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us today. Pass the word. Share the love. Like, subscribe, tell a friend. Can't wait to talk to you again on the next episode. Thank you.